welcome to the Allen and Overy podcast. I'm Billy Jacobson, a partner at ANO, focusing on white collar criminal work and FCPA defense investigations and compliance. This is the first of a series of web chats recording during this period of self isolation with prominent folks in the anti corruption world to help keep everyone informed and to keep me off of Netflix for at least 15 to 20 minutes a day. I'm joined today by Pascal Dubois. Until late 2019, Pascal was the Vice President of Integrity at the World Bank and led the Integrity Vice Presidency, responsible for investigating and initiating sanctions proceedings against companies engaged in fraud, corruption, and coercion in relation to projects funded by the bank. Prior to becoming the VP of Integrity, Pascal served as the Chief Suspension and Debarment Officer adjudicating sanctions cases at the bank. Welcome, Pascal. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh, this is exciting for me to have you as our first guest on this. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Billy, for having me and, and congratulations again on your new position with Alan and Overy. Thank you. So be, before we get into uh, too much substance, Pascal, tell me, how, how are you faring during this period of, of us all being shut in? Um, how are you maintaining your sanity, perhaps? Thank goodness, so far, so so good. We've um, obviously been staying at home, and I'm here with my husband, our son, who came uh, back from California, and one of my nieces who studies in town, and so it was much better for all of us to be together. And our daughter is uh, a crisis management specialist, and she's working for Deloitte, and they send her somewhere off-site in a, in a hotspot. So, so far, so good with her as well. Good. Well, we we're wishing her well and wishing you all well. And I guess uh, can never have too many family members and loved ones around us these days, right? Exactly. Exactly. So, Pascal, for those who don't know, you are one of the world's foremost experts in the World Bank sanction system. W would you mind explaining that system briefly for, for those folks that are may not be familiar with it? Sure. Sure. So, World Bank is, is an international organization, and it's one of the uh, what is known as the multilateral development institutions. So those are institutions that lend money to developing countries and they also uh, share expertise uh, around the world again in, in developing countries. And so I was with the World Bank for 23 years. And when I first joined, anti-corruption, international anti-corruption was not something that one really uh, spend a lot of time on. But over the years, the World Bank really uh, gets a lot of credit for having put international anti-corruption in the context of MDBs uh, firmly on the map. And the system works as follows. So first of all, World Bank only has jurisdiction for uh, on any contracts that are uh, financed by the World Bank. And there is one uh, unit at the World Bank, which is called Integrity Vice Presidency. Those are the investigators. And they'll be receiving allegations about fraud, corruption, collusion, coercion, and obstructive practices on a contract that is financed by the World Bank. And once they have investigated the, the claim, the uh, result of the investigations then goes into the what is called the adjudicatory system. The first tier is pension and department office, where you mentioned I set up that office and I worked there for 10 years. And if uh, companies want to appeal, uh, the case then goes on to uh, the sanctions board. So basically, in a nutshell, the World Bank and also the other multilateral development banks have set up their internal 
investigative and adjudicatory uh, system, which is administrative in nature, given that this is an international organization. Great. Well, that, that's helpful. And companies and individuals who are the subject of these sanctions proceedings have the ability both to settle these cases, um, but test them at, at two different levels. Is that right? That, that's right. So a company is always invited to uh, settle. In my opinion, that is always a, a very good opportunity, both for the, the company and for the multilateral development bank. If they don't choose to settle, and obviously a company doesn't have to settle, the case will then be decided upon by um, the chief suspension and debarment officer who will see whether or not there is sufficient evidence about all claims. If there isn't sufficient evidence about any of the claims, the case goes back to INT, to the investigators. If, however, there is enough evidence about all the claims, then the uh, chief suspension and debarment officer will decide upon a particular outcome, so a uh, sanction, uh, based on the sanctioning guidelines. There's a public uh, sanctioning guidelines. The company then has a, a period of time to give sort of a, a mini appeal to uh, the chief suspension and department officer, and it's called. And then um, after, uh, they also have 90 days to appeal to the sanctions board. And when they uh, appeal to the sanctions board, then the case gets decided by outside uh, judges and the, their decision is public, it's published. They publish a, um, a decision which very much looks like a, a court decision. And their, the decision by the sanctions board is uh, final. About two thirds of the cases get decided at the level of the chief suspension and department officer. Uh, one third of the cases, and we're talking here over the past what, almost 13 years, uh, one third of the cases about uh, goes on to the sanctions board. Very helpful. Thank you for that uh, explanation. Now, we've seen generally a lot of cooperation uh, amongst enforcement agencies in various countries in recent years. For example, it, it's now very common for the US DOJ and the SEC to be cooperating on matters with the Brazilians, the Dutch, the authorities in the UK, etc. And it seems as though we also see the multilateral development banks, like the World Bank, cooperating with a variety of prosecutorial offices around the world. How have you seen this evolve in the past 20 years or so? So there's been an, an enormous uh, amount of progress made in, in this area, in the sense that the Again, about 20 years ago, this was even more of a niche business, and the U.S. was really, you know, were the only ones pushing this. And uh, but over the years, one sees that under the impetus of, I think, primarily the working group on bribery of the OECD, that the right people around the OECD countries, and by the right people, I mean the prosecutors, the people actually doing the cases, converge several times a year in uh, in Paris at this working group on bribery. And over the years, all these um, uh, prosecutor types have really gotten to know each other on a personal level, which I think has helped a lot with this international uh, cooperation. And so it's not uncommon at the national level um, to see joint resolutions. Um, I'm thinking of you know the one that was done the most recently, which was uh, between the US and um, the UK and France on, on Airbus. So for companies 
in a way, I would imagine it's a bit scary to think that, you know, all these prosecutors are talking to each other at the same time. From a purely practical point of view, it might as well be the best way of, of resolving this issue because at least, you know, it's all done at the same time and have less, uh, you know, overlapping issues. The same has happened over the years at the level of uh, not only the World Bank, but also the other multilateral development banks. And that is that these international institutions who, by the way, the, the World Bank has observed the status at this uh, working group on bribery of the OECD. Uh, in addition, World Bank also through the UN and the UNODC has developed a lot of contacts uh, all over the world with prosecution officers. So it's not uncommon for the World Bank to receive requests for help from national authorities, uh, national prosecuting authorities. Also, the World Bank will ask uh, for help from local authorities. And some countries, you know, will be uh, more helpful than others. But for me, I, I really, I mean, over the past 20 uh, years, I've really seen a, a marked improvement in, uh, in cooperation and the, the obtaining of evidence, which uh, heretofore would not have been possible. So. What you see in the, at the national context, I think, is very much replicated at the level of the uh, international organizations. That's great. I, I was fortunate enough to have been at DOJ and to participate in the OECD working group at, at the time when we started these prosecutor-to-prosecutor meetings, because before then, uh, a lot of the attendees at the OECD working group meetings, and still to this day, are sort of more high-level policy officials from ministries of justice. And the idea was bring in the prosecutors themselves in order to have that on the ground interaction. And it certainly has paid off in a, in a really big way. I agree. To your point, some companies may think of it as a negative because they're getting more guns aimed at them by different agencies across the world. On the other hand, it is, co it is much more coordinated and you're not sort of constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop and not knowing which shoe will drop and whether that shoe will drop. I totally agree. And it might be counterintuitive, right, for companies, but from a, from a purely practical point of view, you really want to uh, have these authorities uh, prosecute because at the end of the day, I mean, just think of, you know, a couple of these prosecutions that we've seen and the joint resolutions, the, the fines, even though they were very high, but they were, they were split, right? And so that has embedded, you know, a more you know, a cooperative approach by the different countries will, will in the end, I think, benefit uh, corporations. I agree. So th that's a positive aspect. Is there room for improvement in that system? Yeah, but there's always room for improvement, right? <laughs> yeah. One thing is that one needs to realize is that this is a, this is a still a very, very new discipline, right? If you're looking at law systems around the world, you know, they go back hundreds of years. I mean, there's a lot of traditions and, and precedents international you know anti-corruption and international investigations is, is a very new discipline and so not uh, not surprising when you're looking at the different countries you look at rather different investigation protocols and so ways of doing the investigations you know the discipline the rigor with which you know investigations and and prosecutions you know are being done around the world and so one of my big uh, uh, hopes is that over over the years you know to come that one will see a continued professionalization of this uh, of this very uh, new field and uh, 20 years for you know an international law field is, is obviously you know still very young and so looking forward to seeing in this um, in this profession 
the continued development of, of high standards and, and uh, consistent, you know, much more consistent investigation protocols. It's a really interesting point because while you've got countries cooperating with one another more than ever, as, as we discussed, one country may be investigating much more intently or investigating a particular aspect, taking a particular investigative tactic that perhaps another country, even though they're coordinating with each other, is not taking. And so that may create some inconsistencies in evidence, inconsistencies in uh, results of the investigation, conclusions. It's a great point. Do, Do you have an idea for who or what entity might be best position to sort of start the initiative of, of having these investigations be more uniform? Well, I think these are several, I mean, it can happen at the, at the national level. Right? So there are countries such as the U.S., for instance, which, you know, for years has been training counterparts, you know, around the world, you know, sharing best practices. I think certain organizations. Also, you mentioned, you know, the OECD. I mean, that might be a good starting point. I mean, you were there, you know, many times as well. And so you're very uh, familiar with the way that they're working. What, what do you think in terms of, you know, the, the use of the, of, for instance, the OECD in this, in this field? I think it's probably the working group on bribery is probably as good a group as any to assist with this in that they are already very deep into investigating and observing is maybe the better word, how each country is investigating and prosecuting these types of offenses. And so they already have a lot of information. Uh, They've already, each OECD country has already been through several phases of oversight of the OECD and they're very lengthy reports. Incidentally, one can find on the OECD working group website that give you a lot of information about what a country is doing, how assiduous they are about their investigations and prosecutions. And so, yeah, I do think they would probably be a really good place to start in this sort of effort. Yeah, that's a, I think it's a great idea because they, you know, their system is already set up, right? You know, one doesn't need to start something from scratch and looking at, uh, you know, common investigative standards is something that could be added to whatever, you know, phase reviews uh, they're going to be done doing in the, in the future. And what I like about the, the OECD system is that they're really sending specialists to the field. And once they're there, they do meet with the subject matter specialists and through this exercise and because everything is open they publish all the the reports i I think that it's an interesting thought a good one to uh um to to think about and and ask around you know whether that might be something that might be a good venue and then there's also this you know there's institutions for instance such as you know the international anti-corruption academy i think those types of international institutions could also be uh, helpful uh, together with others. Good. Well, let's let you and I take this forward. Something good. Something good to uh, uh, to do and to exactly continue. perfect. Yeah. Uh, so, in in closing, um, uh, Pascal, I, I want to close all of these with with two questions to folks. First one is, uh, what is the thing during this period of us all being shut in? Uh, what is the thing you miss most from the outside world right now, as as you sit here today? I mean, it's interesting, you know, a situation like this one really forces one um, or gives an opportunity once again, you know, to look at what's the most important. And, and I think the most important is, you know, health and, and, and family and friends. I mean, when you boil everything down. And so at the beginning of March, I was supposed to have gone for several weeks to uh, to Belgium, where I'm from originally, to go visit with my parents. So 
um, that obviously was put uh, on a stop. So I think my, what I miss the most is, you know, not being able to see my parents and my family in, in, uh, in Belgium. And so hopefully in the next couple of months, I'll be able to, um, uh, to go. And then uh, lastly, ending on an optimistic note, um, have you found something positive to come out of this period, out of the last four weeks or so? But very much. And, and so the same, the same that, you know, it gives one the opportunity to you know, reflect on what is the most important. Um, it's also given uh, uh, many of us, I think, the opportunity to catch up again with people that one had not uh, been in touch with for, for a long time. And so uh, that part has been very nice. And also, you know, going back to the, to the basics, one, I think, around the world, one really has, you know, an increased appreciation again for people you know working in the health sector and also you know for the, the delivery people people working in grocery shops you know everybody who's like the backbone of you know all these all these countries and i think that that is i think for a lot of people a, a you know wonderful opportunity to realize how much you know hands and 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 brains are working for you know the very normal things that in the past you know we used to take more for granted so i think there's a certain realization and a, and a great gratitude towards, you know, all the people that make everything work. Well said, I agree 100%. Well, Pascal, thank you for being part of this first in this series. Appreciate your participation and uh, wish you to be uh, safe and healthy. Well, thanks. Same, same to you and yours. Thank you so much again. Thank you.